Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. What a, what a great deal that we get to join in uh, in that song with, with the picture in Revelation of, of, of the end when everyone is gathered around the throne singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's no one like Him. What a, what a foretaste of what is to come uh, for those of us who know Christ. I, I love that song. Love the picture of it. Love that you guys were so into it uh, this morning. It's, it's a good day, right? It's a good day to be here. Do you have your Bibles? Good. Joshua chapter 1 is where you need to go. Last week, we began our study of Joshua uh, by looking at the very end of the book. We, we kind of saw the end before we look at the beginning. Uh, we, saw, we saw God, through Joshua, give us a brief history uh, of the children of Israel, a brief kind of where we've been, what God has done. Um, through all that, we saw God's faithfulness. We saw his provision. We saw his protection. We saw all of this, this greatness of God as he has revealed himself in the history uh, of the people. And then we saw Joshua kind of break from that and, and really, really bring them to a point of response where he said, based on this truth, based on the person and work uh, of Yahweh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? Are, are you going to worship him? Or are you going to worship somebody else? Are you going to worship the gods of your fathers? Are you going to worship the gods uh, of, of the Egyptians? Are you going to worship the gods of this land? Or are you going to worship Yahweh? He says, you've got to decide. You've got to decide today. Choose yourself this day whom you will serve. Because the reality is we will all serve someone. And he puts it before him and says, it, it's time. It's time. You, you either get in with him or you get out. But decide today where you're going to be. And, and as I study that passage, as I studied the week before for for the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and then we come to Sunday school this week about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and that's, that's three times, three times from three different books of the Bible, one, uh, one lesson which was totally uh, removed from me, and I hear this same lesson over and over and over again, and I think, God, why, why do you want us to hear this so often? And I realize it's because it's exact, exactly the message that I need to hear, and I think it's exactly the message that you need to hear, that we need to decide, we need to commit, and really commit. One of the things that you will see in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, there's two roads, right? There's two gates, there's two paths. One of them leads to life, and one of them leads to death and destruction. We saw that he said there were two trees. One produces good fruit, one produces bad fruit. One produces the fruit, and there is a harvest, and the other is cut down and thrown into the fire, right? We saw these two guys who build two houses on two different foundations. One of them, when the storm comes, stands, and one of them crashes down to the ground, Right? He says, basically, that there are only two options. There's not a middle road where you can kind of be half in and half out. You've got to be all in with him. Or the reality is, if you think you're halfway in, you're all the way out. Does that make sense? And then we saw Joshua say basically the same thing. He says, you will either serve Yahweh or the other, the other gods. You will either serve God or these false idols. You can't kind of have your one foot in each world. There's no middle road. You've got to decide where you're going to stand, whom you're going to serve. And then in Sunday school this morning, how many of you went to adult Sunday school? And you saw this great scene with Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah with, with, with all kinds of boldness and, and uh, guts says, listen, there, there, are only, there are only two possibilities here. You're either going to serve Yahweh or you're going to serve Baal. And we will see, we will see who really is God and who truly is God. Yahweh, who shows up with fire? Yahweh. So every time in all three of those instances, God says there are two paths. And one path leads to life, and one path is power, and one path is grace and goodness and, and prosperity, and the other path is death and destruction every time. And so he calls you to decide, but it's really not a decision, is it? it it's, it's really kind of a no-brainer. Do you want your house to fall down? No, do you want to be burned in the fire? 
No, do you, want, do you want to lead yourself into destruction and death? No. Do you want to serve the ridiculous deities of the land of Assyria? Do you want to serve the ridiculous deities of the Egyptians? Do you want to serve these gods who can't do anything? No, the only, the only logical conclusion, the only thing that makes sense is to serve Yahweh. You catch where I'm going with all this? Do you want, do you want to serve Baal? No, what did Baal do in that story? Nothing, except it seems like he used the bathroom, Right? It's the only thing we really learn that he does in that story is he goes to the bathroom. He doesn't do anything else. No matter how passionately his people call upon him, he doesn't do anything. And what does Yahweh do? Fire from heaven that consumes not only the sacrifice and the wood, but the rocks and the water. You know how hot fire has to be to consume rocks? Really hot. And that's the way God answers. The, what I'm saying is that when, 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 these, when these options, these two roads are put out in front of you, there's only one that makes sense. But the reality is there's so many of us who, who choose a counter to everything that makes sense to, to go toward destruction, to go toward the fire, to go toward uh, death and loss. We, we want that, it seems. My prayer is that God will get a hold of your heart, open your eyes to see the glory of his name, the goodness of his grace, the, the truth of the gospel, so that you will say, yes, just like, the people, just like the people in Sunday school this morning said, Yahweh, he is our God. Yahweh, he is our God. We will follow him. Just like Joshua said last week, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what I want to hear. I, I think what we need to hear as First Baptist Church is it's, it's, time, it's time to decide. It's time to choose. Get in or get out. And what I'm saying is, get in. <laughs> get in. I don't want anyone to get out, but get in. Invest 100%. Give yourself completely to God. Serve Him with everything you've got. That is the only thing that makes any sense in the world. Everything else is folly. Everything else is rubbish. Serve Him. Serve Him with everything you've got. We'll check it out in the, in the story today. We'll go back to the beginning of the book of Joshua. But you'll see that, that this is not really the beginning of any story. It's just the next part of the story. You'll see in verse 1 that there's a transition from Moses to Joshua in the text today. All kinds of really good lessons in the passage today. And my prayer is that your eyes will be open to them. That God will open your eyes to them. And that He will remind you about all the other things that we have learned lately. And that all of it will come together by His grace for his glory. Let's check it out. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. What have I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For 
The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for days like this. Thank you for, for, for months like this where, where you teach us and you, and you reinforce and you, and you reiterate lesson after lesson. God, you, you, sometimes we are so dense that that's what it takes. Sometimes we need you to say it five times. God, I pray that, that we have heard. And not only that we have heard, but that we will respond properly. That we will forsake the idols of this land. That we will put away the false gods and serve you alone. With passion, with boldness, with commitment. God, I pray that our response will be the only proper response of submission, obedience, repentance. And God, I pray today that you will show us what it looks like to follow you as we study Joshua, the beginning of, of, of this story and the beginning of this character who is going to be such an example for us. God, I pray that you teach us about what it looks like to follow you, what it looks like to serve you with our household. And God, teach us today that, that it is not us. It is not about us doing. It is about your presence with us, about your strength in us. It is about you. You get the glory. You get the honor, because you alone are worthy. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So in chapter 1, verse 1, one of the things that you will learn is that there's a clear shift in the history of the people of Israel. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, now it came about after the death of Moses. Moses is gone. Moses has died. And Moses was a cool dude, wasn't he? I mean, when you read the first five books of the Bible, you learn a lot about Moses, right? God did some really neat things in Moses' life. And the reality is, there aren't a lot of people like Moses. In fact, God says that there's no one like Moses. There's no one greater than Moses until the one who is greater than Moses comes, and his name is Jesus, right? In fact, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at the end of Moses' life. Turn over one page to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. The death of Moses, the end of the book before Joshua. Look what God says. It says, Now Moses went up from the plains of, Mount, of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. Jericho, we know about that place, right? And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. And all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev, and the plain, and the valley of Jericho, and the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in his land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, 
and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Moses, in this great picture, God takes him up to this hill and he says, there it is. There it is. The, the, the land that I promised to give to your fathers. The land that I told you to take the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt and into. The land that you have been waiting for. The land that you have been journeying toward now for 40 years. There it is. But you will not go. I'll let you see it. I'll let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over into it. God says, I'm going to take my people into it, but I'm not going to use you. And I think there's a lesson. I think there's a big lesson, especially as we move into verse 2 of chapter 1 of Joshua. A lesson in the fact that God's purposes remain. Even though people and leadership change, God's purpose remains. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, It came about after the death of Moses that the servant of the Lord... The servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. And, and you would think that, that God would say, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's over. It's over. It's over. You, you thought you were going to this promised land, but Moses, he, he was the guy that was going to take you there, and, and he's dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Spend the next five years mourning his loss. Moses is dead. Go back to Egypt. There's no hope for you. Is that what goes on in this text? No. It says, Moses is dead, and I'm not done. M- Moses is dead, and my work continues. Moses is dead, so look what it says in the text. Arise, now therefore arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. You see what's going on here? Who, who wants to follow Moses? Who wants to be the next guy after Moses? Nobody does, right? That's a tough act to follow, is it not? It's a tough act to follow because God did amazing things through Moses. And yet God is going to use Joshua to do equally amazing things, equally great things. In fact, God is going to use Joshua to finish the work that he started in Moses. What I want you to hear as the people of God is that leadership and people are constantly changing. But God's purpose never changes. You get me on this? That that in the church we can get really caught up in leadership and people and forget all about the purpose of God for the church, right? We saw this happen. We saw this happen with God's people in Corinth, right? Paul gets all upset because he says, oh, there's some of you who say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. They made it all about the leaders and not about the purpose of the church. God's purpose is that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? God's purpose for the church is that the gospel go to all the nations, right? Leadership and people constantly change, but that never changes. So my encouragement to you is get on with the purpose instead of the leadership. Don't get so hung up on the leadership that you miss out on the purpose. And we are prone, we are prone to focus all of our attention on the people. The people that we can hold on to, the people that we can touch, the people that we like or the people that we don't like. And we forget all about the fact that there is a greater purpose involved here that God is in charge of, right? God says, Moses is dead. Get up and take them into the land. I'm not done. So-and-so is gone and moved on. Don't stop. Keep moving forward. There's going to be a new leader. There's going to be new people. Keep going. Stop focusing so much on this stuff that you can hold on to and put your eyes on the purpose. And the purpose is that God will build his church and he will proclaim the gospel to the nations through us. Make sense? Leadership and people constantly change, but God's purpose remains the same. He says, get up, take the people into the land. And then he describes the land. He says, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, 
I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, it will be your territory. There's something really neat going on in this text, uh, a, a really neat paradox that is consistent throughout Scripture. God makes clear from the beginning, from the beginning of this talk about the land, the promised land, he says, I am giving it to you. He says to Abraham, I will give you this land, right? He says to, uh, to Isaac, I will give you this land. To Jacob, I will give you this land. To Moses, I have given it, right? To Joshua, he even makes clear here that he has given it. It is something, this land, that is a gift from God. But that's not all there is to the story. There's another part of the story where God says, get up and go. Get up and cross over. Get up and go possess the land. Go take it, right? That's what the story of Joshua is about. It's what this whole book is about. It's about the people of God going and, and getting the land. And at the same time, it's a story of God giving the land to the people. You, you catch how there's a paradox there? That God says, I have given it to you, so stroll right in and just enjoy it. It won't be any hard work at all. Is that what he says? No, he says, I've given it to you, and all of these people are going to be against you, but I have given it to you, and you will conquer. You will win because I am fighting for you. There's this paradox that runs all throughout scriptures in that this, this God is constantly giving gifts. He's constantly giving us life. He's giving us breath. He's giving us purpose, and yet he constantly tells us to lay hold of it, to take it, to possess it, to receive it. And what you need to see is, is that probably primary is that, that all of this is a gift from God, but you cannot expect to enjoy that gift. You cannot expect to uh, participate in that gift if you don't take it, if you don't possess it. Does that make sense? And, and let, me, let me paint it this way. Suppose God had said to the children of Israel, that's your land. They are, they are on the far side of the Jordan. And he says, that's your land. Would they be able to enjoy that land from that side of the Jordan River? Absolutely not. They have to go across the river. They have to go across, and they go across with all the boldness in the world because God has said, I gave it to you. In fact, he says in a minute, no one will be able to stand against you. This paradox of Scripture that is constantly all throughout where God is in charge, God is the one who's giving the gift, and yet he calls us to action. He calls us to action, to possess, to take, to conquer, to believe, to follow him, and we must. So, he describes the land, and it's a great land, right? Do you remember when Joshua and, and his buddies all went over there? Do you remember when they came back to spy out the land, and they came back? What did they say about the land? Oh, it's barren. It's barren and dry. It's a dead place. Is that what they said? No, they said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place to be, right? It is a beautiful place, a glorious place, and it's a big place. And God describes it, and he says, I have given it to you. Look at verse 5. This is glorious. It says... No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. I think that's the best verse in this whole passage today. He says, listen, when you go in, get up, go in. And when you go, you need to know this. No one will be able to stand against you. Why? Because Joshua is an excellent military mind. Because Joshua has big muscles and big swords? Why? Why can God say to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you? Because I am with you. Because I am with you. And notice what he says. He says, just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. I think God meets Joshua here in his insecurity. Joshua is following after Moses, this amazing character who will continue to loom large 
over the, the people of Israel for the rest of history. He's following this act and he says, listen, the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. Do you remember the first time God said that to Moses? Remember the first time God said to Moses, I will be with you. Do you remember how that was going on? God said, hey, go get my people out of Egypt. And Moses said what? Let's go. I'm ready. Been waiting on this. Been waiting for you to say that. Is that what Moses says? No, he says, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. You you don't understand, God. I I am not eloquent. I am not powerful. I'm a little bit shy. Maybe I even stutter a little bit. You've got the wrong guy. And what does God say? You idiot. You idiot. You're not the one going to do this. I'm going to do it. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Who made your mouth? I will be with you, and I will bring my people out of Egypt, but he is going to do it through Moses. Does that make sense? So Moses, in a moment of insecurity, God reinforces him by saying, I will be with you. And that makes all the difference in Moses' life, right? And here in Joshua's life, Joshua in this moment of insecurity where, where he's, it, Moses is dead and Joshua's got to leave, and Moses, God says to Joshua, just like I was with Moses... I will be with you. And what I want you to hear today is that we share in this promise. That we share in this promise. God said to Moses, I will be with you. God said to Joshua, I will be with you. And God has said to us, to me and to you, I will be with you, right? In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is born, one of the names that is assigned to him is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. He comes and he is with us. And he is with us for a very definite period of time. He lives a certain number of years, and then he dies, and he's not with us anymore, right? Wrong. (laughs) He is still with us. In fact, turn over to Matthew's gospel at the very end. Is this good? I think this is the greatest thing ever, and you guys sitting there like you're bored. (laughs) This is is big stuff. God said to Moses, Moses, for crying out loud, I will be with you. God said to Joshua, who fought the battle of Jericho, right? And the walls came a-tumbling down. He said, I will be with you. And he said to me... And to you, the same thing. And I would argue in a greater way, he is with us than he was with Joshua or Moses. He is with us because he is not only with us, he is in us. It's a glorious thing. Look what it says in in Matthew chapter 28. It says, but the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which the Lord had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the purpose, right? That's the mission. Here's the promise. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah! This is it. Joshua, I'm with you. Moses, I'm with you. Chris, I'm with you. First Baptist Church, I'm with you. This should change our lives. This should change our, process, our perspective of the entire world. God is with us. Uh, Paul will say, and I'll give you this later, Paul will say in Romans, if God's for us, who could be against us? That, that if he's with us and if we are really with him, then nothing can change that. And we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, right? He is with us. This good news for Joshua is even better news for me. God is with him and it makes all the difference. And he says, notice the way he says this. First thing he tells him is, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Then he follows that up with application. He says in verse 6, be strong. 
Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. He says, the truth, the principle is, I will be with you. The application is, therefore, be strong and courageous. You've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to fear at all, and you're going to hear that over and over and over again. And I need to hear that over and over and over again. I am with you, therefore be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to do my work through you. And then he describes how he's going to do that work. How Joshua maintains strength. How he maintains this close relationship. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. God says the principle is, I'm with you all the time, therefore be strong and courageous. And the strength and courage comes from the interaction with him in his word. In his word. God doesn't say, Joshua, refine your military skills. Joshua, hit the weights and get stronger. He says, Joshua, get in the word. And what you need to know here is is that the word of God is is not just like this yet. The Joshua hasn't been written when God speaks to Joshua, right? But the other five books have been written and they've got it. It seems like they've got it seems like they've got the Word of God in their hands even early in the history of Israel. They've got the Word of God, and God says to Joshua, the key, the key to this success, the key to this victory is you stay in the Word. You stay in the Word. You meditate on it. You study it. You talk about it. You read it. You proclaim it. You obey it. Stay in the Word. That's what we need, right? How many of you are involved in some kind of read through the Bible this year? Pledge. Good. The rest of you should be. We should all be constantly in the Word of God. Joshua, God says to Joshua, Joshua, the key is the Scriptures. The key is the Scriptures. I was reading uh, one commentary, and he was talking about this idea. And he gave four points that I thought were absolutely fantastic. Four principles that Joshua was to know. Number one, Joshua was to know the Scriptures. How do you get to know the Scriptures? Uh, I will tell you how you don't get to know the Scriptures. By watching five hours of television every day. And reading the Bible, none. You will not get to know the scriptures unless you read the scriptures. You will not get to know the scriptures unless you take it up, open it up, read it. Is that clear? Because I think, I think that we have a big misunderstanding. I think that we think that you get to know the scriptures simply by being around church. I think that we think we get to know the scriptures just because we're Christians, that God somehow zaps it into our brains so that we know it. It's not how it works. If you are going to know the scriptures, you have to take it up, open it up, read it. Simple, right? Simple, right? And, and you're, not, you're not answering me because, because you don't think so. You're not answering me because, because of guilt. That you think, that we think, somehow we can know the scriptures without reading the scriptures. It's absurd. But that's where we live, right? That's how we operate. Joshua was to know the scriptures. And in order to know the scriptures, he had to read the scriptures. Number two, Joshua was to talk about the scriptures. He was to talk about God's word. Did you notice? It says, this law shall not depart from your mouth. A couple of different interpretations of that. One is that likely Joshua read it aloud. Likely he was constantly reading the scriptures aloud. But more than that, he was talking about it with folks. When he was having a conversation with with his people, he was talking about God and the scriptures. He was talking about what God had done and what he had said and what he had commanded. 
He was talking about the scriptures all the time, and we don't. We don't. I've been to some of your Sunday school classes. I, I can't get you to talk about the scriptures at all. Even in Sunday school. Why would I expect that at work you're talking about the scriptures if you won't talk about it in one of those rooms? We need to talk about the scriptures. We've got something to talk about, right? There's a lot here, isn't there? Those pages are pretty skinny. And the print is pretty small. There's a lot in here. There's plenty for us to talk about. Talk about it. Joshua was to know it. He was to talk about it. He was to meditate on it. Look what it says in the text. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You know what meditation is? I'll tell you what meditation is not. It is not standing on one leg like this so that you can clear your mind of any thought, that is not the kind of meditation that God is talking about here. The kind of meditation that God is talking about here is that we, we take a, a portion of the scripture, we take a thought or a word or an idea, and we fill our minds up with it, and we think about it all day long. We dwell on it, we think about it, we pick it apart, we put it back together, we spend all of our attention and time and affection on God's word. That's what it means to meditate on the scriptures. When was the last time you said, all right, this morning, I'm going to meditate on this word from scripture. I'll give you one to meditate on, propitiation. Tomorrow, meditate on the word propitiation. Some of you will have to go look it up. Most of you will have to go look it up. But think on that word. What does that mean? How glorious is this truth that Christ is our propitiation? I'll tell you how to spell it later if you want me to. Propitiation. Meditate on that word. Meditate on an idea. Fill your brain up with it and watch what happens. And then the last thing Joshua is called to do is obey it. Look what it says in verse 8. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. God says know it, talk about it, meditate on it. And then that last one is the key. Because it doesn't do really any good to do the first three if you're not going to do the last, right? If you're not going to obey it, why bother knowing it? Why bother meditating on it? Why bother talking about it? The key is in the obedience. Even the scriptures here in Joshua make clear that the key is in the obedience. But you can't expect to get to obedience if you don't know it at all. So make this year the year of study of scripture. Make this year the year of talking about the scriptures. Make this year the year of meditating on the scriptures. Make this year the year of obeying the scriptures because that is, our, that is our connection with God, right? We talk to Him in prayer. He talks to us in the scriptures. Open your Bible and read and listen to what God has to say. And then the last thing, all this business about God's word is sandwiched in between these two promises. God said, first of all, I will be with you. Then he said, be strong and courageous. Then he said, spend your time in the word. Then he says, be strong and courageous. And then he wraps it up nice and neat with a little bow tie. And he says, because I am with you. What, that's the way we should live, right? We should remember that God is with us. We should know that he is with us. We should therefore be strong and courageous. We find that strength and courage in study of his word. We are reminded to be strong and courageous, and we know that he is with us. It is all about the fact that he is with us, right? You take he is with us out of this equation, and what do you got? Nothing. Nothing at all. It's all about the fact that he is with us. Look what it says in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He has said that to us. Listen, listen to, to God speak to Joshua as if he's speaking to you. I'm with you. I am with you. 
Therefore, be strong and courageous. Know me in the word. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. That's hugely encouraging, is it not? He's with us. Three applications today and then we're done. Number one is this. We've talked about this already. Number one, people and leadership change. They are constantly changing. Style is constantly changing. Dress is constantly changing. Faces are constantly changing. Stuff changes, right? And that's okay, by the way. It is okay that stuff changes as long as the purpose never changes. And so what I need to do in this world that is constantly in flux, in this thing that is constantly changing, I need to set my eyes not on that which changes, but that which never changes, right? That is the purpose of God, that he is building his church, he is proclaiming the gospel through the church, changing lives. That never changes, so I will focus on that and not on the leadership. And that's what we all need to do, right? What if, what if the people had said, now, sorry Joshua, you're not Moses. I, you, don't, you don't do it the way Moses used to do it, Joshua. You know, Moses used to do this and that. You, you know, Moses liked it this way or that way. We're not so crazy about this new fangled thing that you've got going on, Joshua. What did the people say? They said, there's the promised land. Let's go. Let's go, Joshua. Take us there. We're not going to say that Moses was a bad guy, but Moses is dead. We can't continue to... Pledge our allegiance to Moses. Leadership is constantly changing, but the purpose of God remains, and we need to follow that purpose. Application number two. This is fantastic. God is with us. With us. He is with us. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Turn over to Romans 8 and listen to the way Paul describes this in the New Testament. Same idea. Same exact idea. And if this doesn't get you going, you should get up and leave. Serious. If this doesn't do it, something's wrong. Really wrong. I would love to read you all of Romans because I, I want to start at verse 31 and then I look at verse 31 and think, no, I need to go back to verse 28. And I look at 28 and I say, no, I need to go back to chapter 8, verse 1. And I look at chapter 8, verse 1 and realize, oh, you, you need to hear the whole book. So we've got to stop. It's got to stop somewhere. So we're going to start at 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. And by the way, that if is pretty huge. That if is pretty huge. That if kind of hinges upon whether or not you know Christ as Savior and Lord. If you do, he's for you. If you don't, he's not. Good news is people go from, from don't to do every day. People, people are translated from one to the other every day by God's grace. He says, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not freely with, us, with, with him give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No. For just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. 
For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with us. He's with us. He is for us. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous as you fulfill his purpose. Be strong and courageous as you go across the Jordan River and possess the land. Be strong and courageous as you go into your neighborhood and preach the gospel. God is for us if we know him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I, 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 I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not giving some rah-rah speech for everybody in this room because the reality is there are some of you whom God is not for right now. Some of you that are separated from him already, you are apart from him now in your sin, in your disobedience, in your rejection of Christ as Savior and Lord. There are some of you that I cannot say with this big smile, God is for you because you do not know him. And the wrath of God is being built up against you for your sin. The good news is this. Good news is this. Every one of us in this room was once in that same place. And it is only by God's grace that we are anything other. Catch what Paul said here? It is all in Christ. It is all because of what he has done. Because the reality is, he came, took our sin, suffered our wrath, beat it, rose again, and gives us life. Right? That's how we go from being God's enemy to God's son. It is a matter of grace. And we receive that grace by faith in Christ Jesus. Is that clear? So if God is for us, who can be against us? I hope that you know God through his son Jesus and can say that he is for us. And if not, maybe today is that day. Maybe today is that day when your eyes are open to your sin, your, your eyes are open to your separation from God, your eyes are open to the fact that God has done what it takes to bring you back together by sending his own son, and you say, that's what I want. I believe, I know that only Jesus can save me, and I want to be saved. Paul in Romans chapter 8, will say, call upon him. Call upon him. Call upon him and be saved. God is for us. Be strong and courageous. And the last thing is this. Scripture is the key. To living, to living the Christian life, to living the life of discipleship, Scripture is the key. Know it. Talk about it. Meditate on it and obey it. You cannot expect to live as a follower of Christ if you ignore his word. And that, that is the situation of the church today. We think, oh yeah, I'm good because Jesus is my friend. But yet I don't know a thing about him because I don't take up his book and read it. Take it up and read it. Study it. Ask God to teach you through it. Talk about it. Meditate on it. And obey it. And watch what happens. God says to Joshua, you will prosper You will prosper. In everything that you do, you will prosper. And I'm not making some health and wealth gospel pitch, but I'm telling you, you cannot expect to live faithful Christian life without obedience to God's word. Number one, leadership, people, change. God's purpose never changes. Number two, God is with us. Therefore, be strong and courageous. And number three, scripture is the key to living it out. Study it, know it, talk about it, meditate on it, and obey it. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for hope. And we know that hope comes from you. Not from something we do, something we know, something we say. Hope comes from you by your power and by your grace. We know that the promised land was not something the children of Israel conquered and possessed. 
something they received as a gift from you. God, I thank you that life, breath, is a gift from you. Thank you that salvation is a gift from you and that we simply receive it. God, I pray that you will help your church today remember the purpose, remember the mission, remember the work that you are doing. Help us to focus more on it than on the people who are leading the way. Help us to see you in it all, through it all, for it all. God, I thank you that we can proceed on this mission with great confidence, with boldness and courage, not because we're smart, clever, but because you're with us. And it is your purpose, after all, and you will not be stopped. Help us to proceed with boldness. And help us to increase that boldness through your word. Forgive us, God, when we neglect it. Forgive us when we think we can know you apart from it. Bring us back. Bring us back to the scriptures that we may know it, talk about it, meditate on it, and obey it. God, be glorified. God, be glorified as you change lives. In Christ's name we pray.